It's Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 36. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way, a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Take your seats. Thanks, Leo. Well, good morning, everybody. And if you are new, joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. We are taking a long time to go through all of Matthew's gospel, and we're at about halfway through. There's 28 chapters in Matthew, so here we're wrapping up Matthew 14. And the theme that runs through today's passage, Jesus walking on the water amidst the storm to meet the disciples, the theme in this passage is fear fear. And, you know, this past week I was listening to the testimony of a Israeli citizen, and she was sharing, at, she was like the dominant emotion overwhelming me right now, even, even more than grief, as intense as it is, is vulnerability. It's just, I'm, I feel so exposed and afraid, and just something in me broke, thinking no one should have to, to live like that, and that level of fear. And even when we're not in a life or death situation like many are currently, I, I once heard a wise old individual say that at the end of their life, they've realized that if there's one thing that drives human beings at the deepest level, it's fear. So fear of being exposed, fear of being alone, fear, fear of losing control. And the more I spend time with people the, uh, and the more I spend time with myself, I, I think they're right. And so as we think about how Jesus meets us amid fear, Jesus does want us to become more composed and less anxious, yes. But for Jesus, it's about something far bigger than that. He wants, us, he wants to meet us in fear because he wants to transform us into people of love. And so here's an example. I recently heard a teaching on someone was talking about relationship dynamics. And they said of the top four things that damage relationships, two of the top four, Two of the top four things that damage relationships are assumptions and reactivity. So think about that. Assumptions, right? You're in a conflict or somebody does something and you jump to assuming what their motive is. You read their actions or words through the worst possible interpretation. And then reactivity. 
So when something happens, instead of checking your assumptions, instead of viewing things through multiple angles, instead of slowing down, you, you react according to your emotion in the moment. And as I think about when I have assumed something of someone else or reacted to them in an unhealthy way or when someone has done this to me, in every case, the, the person was afraid of something, either the person who was unloving toward me or the person I was being unloving toward. And so, like, fear, it plays into how we can love people, right, in, in the nitty-gritty of relationships. And so as we walk through this passage, let's think through, yes, Jesus, he is going to help us become less anxious, more composed, but also he wants to make us into people of, of love, okay, especially with the people that we're closest to. So let's look at this theme under these three arcs as we just follow the, st- as, as we follow the story. First, number one, Jesus' power. Number two, Peter's faith. Okay, we see this scene where he walks on the water to Jesus. And then number three, Jesus' response to Peter. So first, Jesus' power. Second, Peter's faith. And then number three, Jesus' response to Peter. It's such an incredible story. I hope you feel the same by the time we're done. So first, Jesus' power. So we start in verse 22. Immediately he, that's Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side where he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So this is all in the same day as what was taking place earlier in chapter 14, which was Jesus finds out about the grotesque death of his friend, John the Baptist, where he's beheaded at King Herod's birthday party. And last week we saw Jesus, he tries to go spend silence and solitude with God as he's grieving the loss of his friend, but he gets interrupted by a big crowd. And Jesus being Jesus, he heals them, he feeds them. And so now he, he picks up where he left off. He dismisses the crowds. He sends the disciples across the sea, and he goes back to be with God. And this is just a, a quick little lesson. You most kind of drive by it, but this is an encouragement here to those of you who may be idealistic and self-defeating in your own spiritual disciplines. You know, so you go to pray or read the Bible or have silence and solitude with God, and then someone in your family just ruins it, right? Or something happens in your work or distracting thoughts compiling in, and you're like, well, guess I can't pray today, or guess I can't read today, or you start a Bible reading plan, and then you crash in Leviticus, and you're like, I guess I got to wait till next year to do a Bible reading plan again. So just look at Jesus. He, he's interrupted. He allows himself to be interrupted, but even, even Jesus, the Son of God, he then picks right back up, okay? It didn't happen exactly when he wanted it, wanted to. Maybe he didn't get to pray for as long as he wanted to, but he just, he picked back up with his plan. He didn't let an interruption just crash his whole spiritual life with God. Okay, so then as he's wrapping up, he looks down into the sea and darkness descends and a storm, which is not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee, overcomes the disciples and he, and he walks out to them. And there's two things Jesus does as he walks out to meet the disciples amid this incredible storm, waves, rain, wind, all of it. Two things Jesus does that shows he is a force to be reckoned with. And the first thing he does is it's what he says. So as he approaches the disciples, and they're terrified both by the storm and seeing Jesus walk out to meet them, he says in verse 27, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Or or put another way, take courage, it is I. And this is a place where the Greek is helpful, because when you read the Greek here, Jesus says, he says, take courage, I am, period. That's a weird sentence. And you're like, what the heck does that mean? Well, if you're a first century Hebrew, which his disciples were, you know exactly what it means. And when Jesus uses this 
phrase I am, period, ego, a me, in Greek, it's where you first see it in the Old Testament, which the disciples were steeped in, is when Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, he meets God in the burning bush, and he asks God who he is, and God gives his proper name, which he'll then use all throughout the Old Testament, where God says, I am, or in Hebrew, it's the Hebrew construction for the phrase to be. And that's confusing, but what God's trying to communicate here is there is only one being in my category, okay? I'm the only uncaused cause. I'm the only creator. Everything else in creation is a creature. Okay? There's never been a, a time where I haven't existed. I'll always exist. I'm not contingent on anything, including time. Hmm? So this is who God is. And so when Jesus walks out and he says, I am, it's helpful because if Jesus had just said, hey, it's me, or hey, I'm God, or I'm a deity, we could read into it any number of things he means, which in the West means we'd probably say something like, oh, he he means I'm the spiritual aura that just permeates everything, right? Or I'm the divine spark of love that's in every every human being. But that's not what Jesus is saying. When he says, I am, full stop, he's saying, I am the only exalted, above the universe, transcendent creator God who everyone owes worship to. That's the God who I am. It's an outrageous statement. The disciples know it's an outrageous statement. So it's the first thing he does to show his power. The second thing, though, which I find, because it gives credibility to this absurd statement he just makes, is it's not what he says, it's what he does. And as the disciples see him walking out to meet them, they know— from their, from their scriptures that all throughout the Old Testament, you see that there is only one being who's dominant over the power of the sea, and it's God. And you know, one place, for example, is in Job, Job chapter 9, verse 8, where it says, God alone stretches out the heavens and, and treads on the waves of the sea. So when they see Jesus walking toward them on the sea, a, a sea with incredible waves, no less, they know exactly what it means. Now, get, try to, narrative, it's helpful, because when you get into the story, you get a pre- greater appreciation for what's going on here. This is a hurricane over water, and there's nothing more terrifying than a hurricane over water. Think about it, if a, if a storm comes over land, you can jump in a cave, take shelter somewhere. At, in the middle of the sea, you're exposed. So there's nothing more terrifying, but there's also nothing more destructive than a hurricane over water. Okay, violent winds combining with the unstoppable force of water, nothing more damaging or destructive. And the word here for walking, see this in verse 26, when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified. The the word for walking here can be used to describe somebody taking a stroll or sightseeing even. And when you you think about the power of a hurricane, I, I looked this up, it's science. You can, you can drop a thousand nuclear warheads into a hurricane over water and set them off, and the hurricane won't even flinch. And Jesus is doing sightseeing. And this is why it says the disciples are terrified when they say Jesus. Because when they see Jesus taking a stroll, they realize they're in the presence of something other. Someone of, hori- of horizonless capacity and power. They're in the presence of someone from another, from another plane. And yet this person somehow loves them and is drawing near to them. Take courage, I am. 
And so let's take a moment here to take in the raw power of Jesus. Because if you're somebody who, and I, I think many people do, if you're somebody who tends to view Jesus as the meek and wimpy version of God, right, or like more mild and meek than the God of the Old Testament, he's not, he's the same God, Old Testament, New Testament that we see in Jesus. And this matters because when the worst storms hit you, and the deepest fear overcomes you, it makes all the difference when you go to Jesus in grief, in terror, or in pain. It makes all the difference in the world if he's just a well-intentioned friend who can't actually help you, or if he is, I am, the Lord of the storm, who can either A, stop the storm, or B, he has the power to change you in the storm so that you can weather it makes all the difference in the world when you, when you go to pray to Jesus, that this is the Jesus that you see. And so that's on the macro, but on the micro, here's an example of how it can play out in the, quote, small things. Uh, a little while ago, I was talking with somebody who, back to back in a pretty short period of time, they had to have two conversations. One was with somebody who had wronged them, and so they needed to hear this and be willing to extend forgiveness. And the other conversation was somebody they had wronged. So they had to go confess this, bring it to light, and ask for forgiveness and reconcile. And as I was talking about it, I said something to the effect of, well, you know, a lot of people would avoid conversations like that. You know, just if you can avoid it, you will. So just what was it that helped you enter into those situations? And they said, you know, in light of eternity, in light of the bigness of Jesus, I was able to I was able to do this. This is, a, this is such an important lesson because, and this is what they were teaching me in this moment, because when people are big and Jesus is small and conflict comes up or you're afraid or you're hurt, you're either probably you're either going to get aggressive or avoidant rather than entering into the situation and addressing it in a way that's actually gentle and helpful. But when Jesus is big and people are small, as it were, you can enter into these things even amid fear and be a person of love. So it's, it's, it's so practical. So this is, number, this is the first thing we see, Jesus' power. Next, number two, what do we see? We see Peter's faith. Peter's faith. And we see here in verse 28, so right after Jesus says, take courage, I am, don't fear, Peter answers him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, that's Jesus, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So with Peter, it's, this is what I love about this scene. So with Peter, it's easy to make fun of Peter, and a lot of people do. If you read Peter's arc throughout the Gospels, he's kind of like the dog from the movie Up. You know, Squirrel, he's, he's ruled by his emotions. He kind of bumbles along. But when you look at this exchange, the storm's still happening, and Peter says, if it's you, command me to come, and I'll do it. There is a faith-filled beauty to these words of Peter. He doesn't say, Jesus, promise I won't sink. Promise if I give you my trust, no one will hurt me. Promise I won't suffer, and then I'll obey you. He just says, Lord, if, if it's you, command me. I mean, how... How much more warm and peaceful would our homes be if everybody just acted in this simple way? Lord, if it's Jesus, command what you will, and I'll be as you are to these people. So it's incredible faith, 
And yet then, as he gets closer to Jesus, he sees the wind and he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cries out. And so as Peter gets closer, the pounding of the waves and the swirling dark and, and water, they become more real to him than Jesus and he begins to sink. And does this not resonate with many of you? You know, moments of clarity and trust in God. Command me. You feel like I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything you tell me to do. And then the next minute, doubt, fear, selfishness become more real to you than the strength and beauty of Jesus, and you sink. And so a lesson we see here is that with Peter's faith is even faithful disciples sink. Even faithful disciples sink. Okay, a disciple of Jesus is someone who's filled with faith and fear, someone who's capable and a failure in the same breath often. And this should be an encouragement to you if you're battling doubt or if, you're, if there's some kind of pattern of behavior you're addicted to. It's like there are moments where you obey the Lord and then in other moments you just fall right back into your base impulses. If this is you, you are exactly the kind of disciple Jesus loves to love and to pull out. Okay, because even faithful disciples sink. So there's so much encouragement for you. And along with that, if you are a dis- faithful disciple who sinks, and any, faith, any disciple of Jesus is, this means other people in the church, other Christians in, in your church and in your family are faithful and sink too. And what this means is when somebody mistreats you, deliberately or not deliberately, it's so easy to reduce that person to their sinking moment, right? And that this, that's the, you lied to me, you said this to me, you failed me. And yet what we see here is <laughs> the church is filled with people and people are mixed. Okay, people are a complicated mix of compassion and arrogance, faith and fear, okay, faithfulness and failure. And so the gift God gives us by putting us in proximity to other people okay, in the church or Christians in your family are he gives us the opportunity when we are wronged or somebody fails to act in a way we want them to, to be like Jesus and stand by their side, pulling them back up if necessary when they sink, rather than only viewing them through their sinking moment. Okay, because even faithful disciples sink. That's what we see here with the faith of Peter. It's hard, but it's such an opportunity. Okay, now number three, what do we see? We see Jesus' response to Peter. Verse 30 again. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? What I love here is when Peter cries out, Lord, save me, does Jesus use the teaching moment of you a little faith why did you, before or after he rescues him? Okay, after, right? So Peter cries out and Jesus immediately grabs his hand, right? He moves toward him, grabs it, pick, picks him up, sets him on the sea right in front of him. And it's only afterward that he looks at Peter. And I, I imagine him saying, my dear man, you know, have I ever given you a reason to mistrust me? Why did you doubt? Life will be so much better for you when you're filled with, filled with trust in me. And now note here, as Jesus rescues Peter and they're standing on on the waters, notice what's happening with the storm. 
it's still going. It hasn't ceased yet. And so up until this point in Matthew, we've seen two storm narratives. The first was in Matthew 8, where Jesus is in the boat sleeping with the disciples. They panic. They cry out, Lord, save me. And immediately he causes the wind to storm. Uh, he causes the wind to seize. Okay, and then he teaches the disciples. But here, first, you know, he's strolling on the sea. He doesn't really seem to be in a rush. Then there's this exchange where they're scared of him, and he says, take courage, I am. Then there's the whole ordeal with Peter, and it's still storming. <laughs> this stuff was like, uh, Jesus, I'm glad you're teaching us here, but we're about to die. Okay, remember, nothing more terrifying or powerful than, than the sea in a storm. And there are two huge takeaways we can see here with the fact that the storm is still going. The first is that sometimes, like in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus does still the storm quickly. Other times, Jesus stays with you and transforms you in the storm, but he may not stop it right away. And look at Peter. When you zoom out, because this is one moment they have, a big one, but it's one moment in Peter's big story. What does Jesus ultimately save Peter from? He saves him from death here, but does Peter die later? Yes. Does he, does he promise Peter, Peter, there will be no more storms. You will never suffer again. People will never hurt you again. No. When you read Peter's story in the Gospels and in Acts, uh, he's put in prison. He's, he goes through some intense church hurt and church conflict. Uh, eventually, what we know from church history, he's crucified. And so what does Jesus save Peter from? He doesn't save him from suffering. He saves Peter from, A, life apart from God, the most important thing, and B, he saves Peter from self-centeredness and the need to control. When you look at Peter's life, there, there is an arrogance about Peter and a need, to a need to control and manage other people, a need to control and manage his own reputation. And Jesus, in love, allows Peter to go through some painful humiliations and trials to burn this self-centeredness out of him to make him into a person of love which my goodness does Peter become because for Jesus this is what it's always about is transforming you into a person of love and how this relates to fear is fear and love are opposites as first John puts it okay perfect love casts out fear and I heard someone say, you know, when you're in a situation, something to the effect of when fear is, what do they say? When fear is running your story, yeah, when fear is running your show, love is repressed. So here's an example of how this played out in my own life. Uh, before our church planted, our sending church, shortly before we were about to launch our first ever service, uh, some of the leaders in the church decided they wanted to change some things. And this involved moving, shifting some people and roles around. And when I heard about this and they told me about it, the first thing I thought was, if this happens, our church is going to die. Okay, church planting, it's, it's fragile in the best of times. And because I was thinking like, oh my, we're not going to have the people we need, the resources we need. Blah, blah. And then, you know, just I, I start spiraling and I start thinking, you know, oh my goodness, our church is going to fail. We're not going to be able to make disciples. Donors are going to start giving. How are Kelsey and I going to pay rent? Just fear, fear, fear rooted in the need to control. Okay. Anytime you're more afraid, it's because you need to control. Those things are linked. 
right? I, I knew what needed to happen and where all the people needed to be for our church to get off the ground. And so what happened, I wasn't a helpful partner in figuring out, like, what are we going to do? And I share this because what happened was, and they, to, they didn't even tell me, and it was only later, like, once the decision was made, which it doesn't matter the decision. What matters is what, what I learned was if we had gone with the decision, if we went with the decision that the other leaders wanted to do, it would have been just on a personal human level would have been far better for those leaders and their families. And I didn't see it because I was consumed with fear. I didn't love. I couldn't love. Okay, because when fear is running your show, love is repressed. And so when you're in a situation, you, it, you're emotionally heightened, some, maybe somebody wrongs you, you're scared, you've already been hurt. There are two responses you can have here. The first is, which is natural, the first response is, how can I get back to feeling better? And or, how can I make this person do what I want? Okay, that, that's one avenue of responses. Or the deeper, more mature response that Jesus is always trying to guide us to when we're afraid, when we're hurting, is what is God doing in me through this? And how can he help me release control and fear so that I can be a person of love. And life is so much better. Not initially, but in the long run, we take this second avenue of response. Okay, because he always wants us to use fear to make us into people of love. So that, that's the first thing we see when the storms don't stop right away. The second thing we see here is, go back to Jesus' rescue of Peter. Peter, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Don't miss the intimate, intense, concentrated nature of this exchange. So it's not, Peter sinks and Jesus is far away. Hey, just, you'll be fine, Peter. Take courage, I am, but I'll be over here. He's right there. And he pulls him up in almost this haunting scene. You see Peter and Jesus face to face, hand in hand, amid the swirling waters and the black depths underneath them in the dark. And what is decisive for Peter in this moment? What's the difference between him living or dying? What's decisive for Peter, it's not the might of the waves. It's not even how courageous or how faithful he's being in the moment. What's decisive for Peter is the identity of Jesus. Okay, that Jesus has a power big enough and a love big enough to rescue him. And so in your life, what the reassurance of Jesus, that this is so key, the reassurance of Jesus is not that the fear or the circumstances or the pain will stop. At least not until he unites heaven with earth. The reassurance of Jesus isn't circumstances will change. The reassurance of Jesus is the person of Jesus who will not let you go and will bring you through. And how do you know? Uh, a few months ago, I was at the pool with my two boys, there's few things more terrifying than watching someone you love drown or being that person, I imagine. 
and I'm with the pool of my boys, and I'm in the water, and one of my boys, he, he slips off the step that he was sitting on, and, you know, right before his face goes under, he cries out, Dad, help, and he, he goes under, and those of you who know me know I'm a, usually a relatively slow-moving individual. <laughs> I've never moved so fast to grab my son, and there is, there is no amount of money, nothing you could have given me not to rescue my son. All right, it's, it's obvious. But, you know, for Jesus, there came a moment when he was in a storm. He was drowning. He was forsaken by people and being faced with all of God's justice on all the evil in the world, the evil that's been done to you and the evil in your own heart. And like Peter he cries out, Lord, save me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And unlike Peter, there was no hand there for Jesus. Why? Because God the Father, impossibly in love for you, didn't grab his son's hand. And Jesus, in love for you, he was no helpless victim, allowed himself to sink before rising from the dead because he's trading places with you and trading places with Peter so that you know you always have his hand. And the shore may be further off than you'd like it to be, but he will never let you go. Take courage. I am. In the coming days, I I encourage you to and maybe it's not happening right now, but if it happens later, just go to God in the quiet and name what you're afraid of, name your pain, name your anger, and then just say aloud Jesus' promise back to you. Take courage. I am. Let's pray.